So I'm just going to talk about Thanksgiving, and then we're going to do the Lord's Table and a few announcements, and then we're going to get out of here for this busy, cool, pre-Advent week. The season is upon us, is it not? So, um, yeah, my little pet peeve, you know, on um, Thanksgiving is when, you know, you go to the family gathering or whatever, and they're not necessarily Christian, which is, you know, a thing. That's not a bad thing. I mean, I'd rather be Christian, but anyway, point being... um, and then everybody says what they're thankful for, you know, and it's just this, I'm thankful for, and there's no person or object to who you're giving thanks to, and it just bugs me. What is that, linguistically, grammatically? Isn't giving thanks like a transaction? And I say, hey, thank you for holding the door open for me, as opposed to, I just give thanks to nothing. I'm like, anyway. Do you guys think about that? Is that just me? It must just be me. So anyway, but I'm like, thanks has an object. It has a personage to it. Something, you know, it's just not this thanks to the nether, you know, or something like, anyway. All right, I'm over it. Uh, So here's one of my favorite crazy stories that I'm throwing at us about gratitude. And the story goes like this. So if you want to open up your phone and turn to 2 Kings, this is one of the classic ones where you want to like type in and search for it. So 2 Kings uh, chapter 7. Um, so when we'll set the stage on this just a little bit. So because it's a little bit, you know, Bible history type stuff. All right. Crazy story though. I just love it because it's weird. Elijah, who's a prophet, 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 1. Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. He's saying this to the king, by the way. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow, about this time, a measure of choice meal shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And you're like, that doesn't sound very crazy. That means food is cheap. Doesn't cost very much. The Aramean army, the Aramean army is at the gate of the town of Samaria, which is just north of Jerusalem. They're at the gate of Samaria, and it's the 8th century B.C. So this is after King David. This is before all the exiles. But believe me, they're starting to do enough wrong that they're going to be in exile and losing the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom, and it's all going to go bad, 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 all the way to Jesus' time and beyond, actually. So in the previous chapter, we learned that Samaria is under siege. Siege was common In ancient wars, it was a classic strategy, starve the people in the city. When they finally relent, you you win the war, okay? In the previous chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, we find that, so here's the gross part, a donkey's head, yes, a real donkey's head is selling for 80 shekels, okay? And pigeon dung, pigeon dung is selling for five shekels of silver, and I actually had to go look this up. I'm like, don't they mean like by donkey's dung, they really mean like a dozen donuts or something? Like, no, no, they're actually, it's donkey's dung. And it was used as food when you were super duper desperate. Guess you'll be eat about anything, right? And I mean, this is a rock bottom. It even gets to the point, if you remember this story, that there are two mothers who are arguing about whose baby they're going to eat first. It's... It's bad. This is the end of Samaria. All is lost. And the king, of course, is like 
renting his robes in frustration, like, this, how could this, we ever get to this place? And then the prophet Elisha tells Samaria's king that tomorrow at this time, y'all are going to be feasting and you're going to be, uh, you know, eating like uh, kings. Okay. And the king's thinking that's absolutely impossible. The people are thinking this is impossible. We're, we're trying to figure out whose baby we're going to eat. And then here comes the crazy part of the story. It gets crazier. There were four men with a defiling skin disease outside the city gate who said to one another, they're outside the city, okay, outside the gate. And they said to one another, why should we sit here until we die? If we say, let's enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. But if we sit here, we shall also die. Therefore, let us desert to the Aramean camp and if they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. You see what they're doing? They're like this desperate. They're like, we're going to die one way or another. Let's just take a chance of going over to the enemy, and maybe they'll spare our lives. They're lepers. Okay. Hey, lepers, welcome. You know, um, I don't know. It's, they're, they're at definitely rock bottom. So at twilight, the four lepers sneak up on the Aramean's camp, right? And the camp is empty. There's no one there. Their, their donkeys are tied up, the horses are there, all their tents are there, all their food's there, all of their stuff is just sitting there, and the four lepers are saying, what? It's empty. <laughs> so apparently the Lord had caused the Aramean army to imagine that they were hearing chariots and armies, and they said to one another, the Israeli king, the Sumerian king, has hired the fierce, ominous Hittite army, and we're all gonna die, so flee for your life. And they all ran off and left their dinner even cooking. Okay, and then these four lepers show up, and they're like, whoa, everything's still sitting here. So, of course, they just start feasting. They're going from tent to tent. They're picking up the gold and the silver, as much gold as they can eat. I mean, they're just having a wonderful time. I know. Um, they, and, and so they're eating and eating, and they walk into camp, and they feast, and they drink, and they have, they're putting on all their clothes and all this stuff. But then, but then, they said this, okay, verses 9 and 10. What we're doing is wrong. This is a day of good news, and if we are silent until the morning light, we will be found guilty. So they had a little bit of fear going on. And therefore, let's go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we went to the Aramean camp, but there was no one to be seen or heard there, and nothing but the horses tied, the donkeys tied, and the tents, and they, they, they were there, as they were. Um, did you ever play this game? Maybe you still play it when you're a kid, you know, and you said, you know, this is like total sleepover stuff. You say, like, okay, imagine that you were locked in a chocolate factory all night long. What would you do? I would eat chocolate until I explode, you know. Like, yeah, okay. So, you know, or, or and then, of course, your friend escalates. Oh, yeah? Well, what if you found a secret tunnel to John Knox? I'm sorry, not John Knox, Fort Knox. That'd be awesome. He'd be like, John Knox? What's the next option? So, I shouldn't say that. My dad was in for John. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know, 
Fort Knox, haul off all the gold you want, right? Okay. Um, and then your friends try to come up with an even more extreme thing, or they flip it. You guys have played this game, right? Like when you were a kid and stuff, you know, you got nothing else to do. And you usually have a bowl full of like candy or something. And um, <clears throat> then you say, okay, all right, what about this? You're trapped in a prison where all the walls are made of fruitcake and your grandpa's underwear. <laughs> Which one are you going to eat? What? Anyway, so you, you do this sort of thing, right? And where it's absolutely, actually, this happened to me in not the grandpa underwear part, but I mean, <laughs> it, it kind of happened to me and my friend, uh, my friend and I were going to go see our other friend, right? We're in middle school, junior high, back to what we used to call it. And uh, he was a year older uh, at, than us. And he's working at the Baskin Robbins ice cream shop, 31 flavors, folks. And it's got to be like eight o'clock at night or whatever. I remember it being dark and um, we're eighth graders and we... Um, go to visit him and see him working. We didn't have any money or anything like that. And we, we opened the door to Baskin Robbins. There's no one there but like him and some other kid working the place. And suddenly our friend starts pelting us with those ice cream sandwiches, the rock hard frozen ones, the ones that are about an inch and a quarter thick, the mint chocolate chip, they're round and they're awesome. They're not those rectangular other dudes thingies that you used for something, caulking or whatever. I mean, we're talking legit ice cream. And he's chucking them at us from the back of the store, like just chucking. We're like dodging them and like, like grab the ice cream sandwiches. So we're grabbing the ice cream sandwiches. We run out the door. We go outside. We eat one. And then we come back. Sure. We come back and we are getting pelted by more ice cream sandwiches. I don't know how many ice cream sandwiches we got. We probably got five or six each. And we left. Like, it was awesome. Free ice cream sandwich. I don't know how much longer Jeff kept working there at Baskin Robbins, but nonetheless, we got ice cream sandwiches. And we just, and, and we didn't even have to go spy on the Aramean army and lepers and all that stuff. So the four lepers they, who were going to die anyway, all right, they took a chance on going into the enemy's camp and they wound up as saviors of the whole city, okay? You can do a lot if you got nothing to lose. You can do an awful lot in this world if you got nothing to lose. Right? A person can change the world if they believe they have nothing to lose and they fall into the hands of God. What an incredible place to be. Nothing to lose. Funny how well-off and well-to-do people you know, rarely risk anything for others. In other words, the larger you get, oftentimes the less risk-taking and generous you are. Yeah, kind of works that way. And yet around Lakeland, well-off and not-so-well-off people have traveled the globe to go just simply be with the persecuted house church in China and spend thousands of dollars on a trip like that, Right? or to help build 12 by 12 foot houses in the back hill country of Jamaica, or, or to go hold children in a Haitian orphanage, like I did years and years ago, being told that that baby will be dead in a few days, or, or to help build a maternity waiting home in Liberia, or to step across the border into Juarez and go into Anapra, 
just to be with people and help them have, build a library and assure that they have rice and beans. And on and on and on these stories go around here of people well off and not so well off taking tons of money and just giving it away. Where losing is winning, winning in God's economy. Losing is winning in God's economy. And you become these spectacular human beings because you're not possessed by possessions. And you begin to become a a person whose life counts in this world when you have nothing to lose, and that's the way you believe it. Losing is winning in God's economy. Over the years, this little church has raised millions and millions of dollars for other people. This is above and beyond the faithful tithe dollars that help keep Lakeland up and running week in and week out. I like this place. I, I like these people. You guys. I, I, can, I can say with sincerity, like, my church does something. We're, we're those kind of people. Yeah, we're just as messy as everybody else on the planet, but, you know, we got nothing to lose, man. It's good. I'm all for this place. So Thursday's Thanksgiving, right? I know it's a bit of a mixed bag. Family. Say no more. Good, bad, mmm. Yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. And Thanksgiving Thursday, yeah. So this morning teaching from 2 Kings chapter 7 is, is obvious. You take a chance on God. That's the part of going to see the family that you want to see. And, and you have nothing to lose. Just go open-handed and be grateful for what you have and be thankful for what you have to God. That goes back to my comment I started off on. Like It has direction to it. Thanksgiving does, right? You you give away what you have and you'll feel incredible. Nothing to lose, nothing to cling to, nothing to own you. You will be free. So this Thursday, if you're fortunate enough, you'll get to go home. And you get together around family and celebrate just being together. And you get to tell the same old stories and play the same games and eat the pie and eat the dessert and the fruitcake. And, and, you know, you get to eat the fruitcake. And, and it'll just be good. And you'll say, it is enough. It is just enough. I am content. That's the way Thanksgiving is supposed to turn out. To just say, it is good by the hand of God. And in a day and age when everyone's tired of political bickering and polarizing news media, and we just need Thanksgiving, you guys. The country needs Thanksgiving all over again. Thanksgiving's been around in the country ever since the original 1621. Uh, the New England Pilgrims, there on the shore, about as far as they got, celebrating with the Algonquin uh, Native Americans, their neighbors. Uh, and that was all after the colony, the Pilgrims lost half of the colony the year before, the winter before. You know, the Algonquins also had like a Thanksgiving um, cycle to the crops and so forth where they gave thanks as well. So it all kind of came together. And uh, haven't we lost people over the last couple, three years? I lost my brother. Did you guys lose anybody? Raise your hand if you lost somebody over the COVID or anything else. That's a lot of hands. We've all lost something, too. 
We've lost and lost and lost. And here we are, too, in the middle of a social and political strife still. And let's not forget that Thanksgiving became a national holiday when President Abraham Lincoln, right, in 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, middle of the Civil War, 600,000 people died. 600,000. In the middle of that war, a woman named Sarah Josepha Hale kept badgering Lincoln to make it a national holiday. It wasn't a national holiday, even though people up in New England still celebrated it. And Sarah Josepha Hale, she was the editor of a popular, popular women's magazine called a Goodies Lady Book. And she campaigned to make it a national holiday. And, uh, and Lincoln relented to her, and he said... Because, this is what Lincoln said, he said, because the gracious gifts of a most high God, we should give thanks. Because of the gracious gifts of a most high God, we should give thanks as a nation. In the middle of the Civil War. That's a great attitude. Thanksgiving should give us pause to consider our situation. Most of us at Lakeland, we don't miss a meal. I don't, apologies to those who might. Or we don't go without heat or electricity or a, a hot shower. Our most bothersome daily hassles are no network signal and, you know, car problems, right? Meanwhile, just 25 minutes away down at the Hope Center's east side neighborhood, our neighbors are oftentimes cold um, and hungry. And, of course, just last week, Lakeland put on the... Uh, uh, got together all the stuff for the meal for those guys just so they could celebrate. So I thank God that I'm part of a community that does something, that has action to it. Uh, may we keep pressing more and more for more compassionate action around here because we have nothing to lose, because we, are, we have fallen into the hands of God. The enemy of Thanksgiving, then, is entitlement. It's entitlement. Entitlement is the combination of spoiled and abandoned. You get this math? Entitlement's the combination of spoiled and abandoned. And here we are, America, and we have most everything a human being could ever want or need, and yet somehow we feel forgotten and marginalized and somehow a loss of dignity. And we're sitting around arguing about that. What a weird combination of feelings and identities, spoiled and abandoned. Entitlement will suck the gratitude right out of us, but generosity will build your soul. Generosity will build your soul. So may we refuse to be imprisoned by both desire and a sense of lack. May we embrace the words of the psalmist in Psalm 95. For the Lord is great. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And in his hands are the depths of the earth. Oh, come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Do not harden your hearts, the psalmist says in 95. You want to read a scripture for Thanksgiving at the table? Psalm 95 would do. Don't harden your hearts. You know, uh, the crazy story, 2 Kings chapter 7, it ends like this. That chapter ends like this. And then the people went out and they plundered the camp of the Aramean army. And so a measure of choice meal that day sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord.
may you and I both be grateful and generous and thankful for the hand of God this week, more so than ever. Amen. Amen.